There's a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The skies set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hurts here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life in the Birches by calling 224-9111. And don't forget, folks, that we're now a podcast on Google and Stitcher and iTunes for all you 21st century folks who like to dial us up on your phones or your tablets. You can uh, have us anywhere and off the record join my dozens of binge listeners. And I am joined today by my good buddy, by my good friend, by my guitar buddy, Johnny Bressler. Johnny B. Bressler, welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Thanks, Paul. I think it's a pleasure. <laughs> no, no, no. The pleasure is all mine. How you been? Not bad for a skinny-wristed fat man. Oh, man. That's, this is really something else. And, folks, in, in case you can't tell, Johnny, right now, we, we are here in the fabulous WKXL studios, deep beneath the earth in the bunker at Reddington Road, where we love to bring you the mellow talk of all about politics and the uh, affairs of the day. And we're actually doing this Springsteen style. It's like, it's like um, you know, little, Van, uh, little, uh, little Van Zant and Stevie Van Zant and, and Bruce, we're sharing a microphone. It's kind of the granite state of mind, Paul. We're 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 in New Hampshire and we're cheap, so we're using one mic. Yeah, we're doing one mic. So so uh, things have gotten things are getting pretty interesting in the world. So uh, we're recording this on a day when uh, I see pictures of uh, oil tankers on fire. Uh, 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 Secretary of State Pompeo uh, is claiming um, that Iran has blown up this oil tanker while. While a Japanese Prime Minister Abe was talking to the Ayatollah, carrying a message from the Donald about maybe starting talks, which the Ayatollah Pompeo thinks uh, answered by setting by blowing up an oil tanker. So, so, so that's going on around the world. Meanwhile, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and, and I want to get your take on this. The President of the United States just sat down for an interview with Mr. Stephanopoulos, I believe. And, and, and he's asked the following question. He said, so, um, so uh, <laughs> if a uh, foreign power approached you with dirt on the opposing candidate in your election, they approached you and they said, Mr. President, we have dirt on opposing candidate, which we would like to share with you. Now, those of you who may be familiar with my bevy of bad accents may know that in this case, I happen to choose a Russian-Ukrainian 
uh, Eastern, Middle Eastern, you know, Far Eastern, uh, Near Eastern uh, kind of kind of accent to make uh, the point that, uh, you know, in 2016, we were able very well to give you this kind of opposition research on um, uh, Hillary Clinton, who we hate, and uh, you made very good use, and so did we. And But, but just let me finish that, Donnelly, because Johnny B. Bressler trying to take microphone before I finish my thought. Last thought is Donald Trump, Trump Trumpelinski said, I think I'd want to hear it, downplaying the idea that such a move by another country would amount to election interference. I think I might want to listen. There isn't anything wrong with listening, said the president of the United States, when being offered dirt about a, a candidate in our elections. If that isn't a conspiracy, uh, that's conspiracy to interfere in the elections. But it's also very informative about 2016 and what happened and, and, and what he really thinks about the Russians who clearly interfered in our elections. What is going on in this country? Well, I, I can only look back and try to judge through my experience of the Nixon years. And I think at the very heart of the situation, you had a president in Richard Nixon who got caught doing a cover-up, admitted it, and took the penalty. We have a president now with all norms out the window. There's no such thing as accepting that he did something wrong or that anything's wrong. The basic presumption is like a five-year-old when they say, everybody does it. Well, in this case, Benedict Donald is doing it with foreign adversaries who have been our greatest geopolitical enemies for years, whose goal is to take apart NATO, destabilize the United States, and then replace order with a strongman. This is Putinesca. Oh, Putinesca. You know, you know, Johnny Bracelet. Mr. Putin is is uh, he's not so happy anymore because uh, you know things are. I don't know what he now thinks about the Donald and whether he thinks Donald. Trumpeltinsky playing ball with him or not. We know Donald Trumpeltinsky getting very cozy with Putineska at the various summits, but but maybe maybe there is more information. I mean, just imagine that we have uh, Biden Biden or one of these guys about which there may be oppo research, and and Donald Trumpeltinsky gets surprise call. Uh, Hello, this 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 is Vladimir Putiniski. I'm calling for Donald. Uh, White House, please put me through. Just a moment, Mr. Trump, Mr. Putiniski. We'll connect you. One ringy dingy, two ringy dingies, three ringy dingies. Hello, is this the Oval Office? Yes, yeah, this is reception. We're here at the White House front desk, and we have a call from a Mr. Putineska for Donald. Um, can we patch him through? All right, just a moment. Hello, Mr. Putineski. I'll put you through now. Thank you for calling. Ring, 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 ring. Hello. 
Hello, uh, this is a very bad impression of uh, a guy from New York who's sitting in the White House. Who's this? Hey, Donald, it's uh, Vladimir Putiniska. I have some information for you. I want to tell you all about your opponent in upcoming election. They are really in trouble because just wait till you hear what I have to tell you. And don't forget, Crimea River. (laughs) It was so much fun to annex Crimea. Maybe you should try it. Well, listen, I, 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 don't have any, I, I don't have any problem with uh, annexing things. I, like, uh, I want to annex Mexico. Uh, I want to annex Canada. I want to annex all kinds of countries. That If you can help me, I'm happy to have it. I mean, in the midst of all this, folks, the, the Democrats were kind of le- are left speechless. But, but they, they use words like, it is shocking to hear the president say outright that he is willing to put himself in debt to a foreign power, not to mention the foreign interference in an American election part. House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler tweeted Wednesday night, and on the Intelligence Committee, Chairman Adam Schiff said his comments are stunning on the one hand and not at all surprising on the other. I mean, he's made it clear that he will engage with foreign powers to interfere in our election. Now, I don't I don't know what people are going to say, but, you know, I when I when I went to Congress, I took seriously that I had taken an oath and the oath I took was the same oath that Donald Trump took um, when he was elected. And that oath was to protect and defend uh, the Constitution of the United States against all parties, foreign and domestic. So. I get, okay, enemies domestic, I get that, enemies foreign, uh, whether you might argue whether or not uh, in this world we have enemies as opposed to adversaries, and maybe Donald Trump would say, well, the cause, I didn't take an oath to protect us against adversaries, just against enemies. So it's okay when uh, Russia or China or North Korea or Iran, you know, the Ayatollah calls me up and says, Donald, I've got information for you. It seems so simple. He has absolutely no legislative agenda. He has no couth. His goal is only that which glorifies him. And it's not doing a good job for the country or the world. It is kind of scary in reality. I mean, he said he wouldn't turn it over. You know, it, it, the question was, would you turn it over to the FBI? Would would you take it? It's not interference. They have information. I think I'd take it, Trump said. If I thought there was something wrong, I'd go maybe to the FBI. If I thought there was something wrong. Well, spoken like the developer of Trump University. Uh, this is a guy, real estate swindler developer. He's not presidential. I mean, He should have, like a plumber, had to go to some kind of presidential school to get his license to learn the do's and don'ts. But he's just kind of making it up as he goes along. Whatever he feels gives him more power. That's good. I'll tell you what, says Trump. I've seen a lot of things over my life. I don't think in my whole life I've ever called the FBI in my whole life. You don't call the FBI. You throw somebody out of your office. You do whatever you do. But you don't call the FBI. President Schmezident. What? I mean, what What am I, Schmendrake? I, I mean, come on. I mean, I'm here. I'm sitting here. I'm doing the job. I'm taking the calls. I'm taking the meetings. Why, just... And everybody does it. Everybody does it. I mean, look, if the Queen of England calls me and gives 
gives me dirt. What am I going to do? I'm not going to call the FBI. Uh, hello? Hello? Is Donald there? This is Queen Elizabeth calling. I, I, I just wanted to tell you, Donald, not only how much I enjoyed our, our little meeting the other day, especially with the blimp flying over London and, and that giant statue of you sitting on the can. It was just a delightful visit. But I wanted to call you to tell you that I have opposition research that we have uncovered. Would you like it? Oh, Queenie, Elizabeth, that's great. We'd love to have your opposition research. I'm not calling anybody because you're the queen, I'm the king, and I can do whatever I want. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet with my friend Johnny B. Bressler. Johnny B. Bressler, guitar Johnny, playing the sidekick here, and we are just having a great time. But, ladies and gentlemen... Our republic is in trouble. The president doesn't care about his oath of office. He doesn't care about the Constitution. He doesn't care about the people. All he cares about is himself, and he thinks he can do whatever he wants. It's time for the American people and the American Congress to hold this grifter and crook accountable for his illegal conduct and get him out of that office just as quickly as we can. Off the Record with Paul Hodes, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Don't go away. We'll be back with more exciting Off the Record after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com. We are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes for your binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, we are really happy to welcome back our guest, Matt Robeson, the proprietor, author, blogger at a amoreperfectunionforum.com. Matt is a guy who knows a lot about a lot of things, but one of the things he knows a lot about is politics. And he is a deep thinker about what's going on in politics. And of course, in politics, we've got coming up on June 26th and 27th, the first round of debates held by the Democratic National Committee in Miami with a cattle call field of at least 20 beauty contestants who will each try in 30 or 45 seconds to make their impression on the hearts and minds of the American public. Matt Robeson, welcome back to Off the Record. Thanks. Hi, Paul. How you doing? Well, you know, I'm doing okay for uh, for an old guy in a one-armed paper hanger. I'm working at all kinds of things. I frankly expect to be down in Miami uh, pretty pretty soon. That should be an interesting time. And 
You have had some uh, time to think about uh, what's going on with the primary debates and what it all what it all means, and and uh, you either have or are about to uh, blog about it on a moreperfectunionforum.com. And I'm really curious with your humorous but intelligent outlook on things. What what are you seeing and what are you thinking? Well. It is, as you say, going to be very interesting. And I think the number one thing on the minds of Democrats is, or should be, how do we get through the next, let's call it 90 days or so, in some kind of an intelligent way? It seems likely, especially given the new set of rules that the Democratic National Committee put forward for the second set of debates, and for listeners who are unfamiliar, it's essentially a more stringent set of entry requirements. You have to have many more uh, small-dollar donors, many more followers um, on social media. You have to be polling higher, uh, average of 2% in the polls, at least. With, with this period coming up, how do Democrats think about getting productively through the next 90 days and starting to make some intelligent decisions here collectively? Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be an, an interesting period. And that's, as you said, what I've been trying to work on for the last few days is trying to lay out uh, in the piece I have coming up, um, how should Democrats think about that? What should be on their mind? What are some do's and don'ts? So, um, you know, I mean, they're, uh, they're the, the, uh, the talking heads of the world, of which I guess we are now a pair, uh, have been going uh, happily um, uh, ballistic about the, the pictures that are endlessly scrolling across CNN and MSNBC of all these candidates. There certainly are a ton of people out there. And, you know, I mean, people in New Hampshire are taking a look at everybody and holding their fire. Nobody, you know, there isn't a lot of deciding on on things. And uh, on the one hand, the visual landscape in New Hampshire at the moment is is kind of calm. We haven't seen the sprouting of yard signs. You know, you and I remember well how how it is that yard signs sprout like mushrooms in wet weather uh we haven't seen that yet i saw one yard sign out on route four in northwood for a candidate but i just i just haven't seen a lot of yard signs so that's not happening yet and these debates in a way are you know they're really the kickoff uh of a another phase in the campaign it seems to me that we've had a kind of very early preparatory phase, candidates that were expected to make the debates may not make the debates because of the initial rules by the DNC, which was 65,000 unique contributors. And then uh, if there were 20 or more candidates, which there are, you had to score 1% in at least three national polls recognized by the DNC. And so there are a number of candidates who were expected to make the debates who whom they very well not. So there's some, you know, and, and I don't know whether that's a so, yeah, a signal to those folks, um, and and I don't know if their supporters or would be supporters are are even going to care. But I'm wondering, in considering the approach, Matt, to to the debates for for voters, uh, what you've you've proposed a rather novel approach, a kind of provenance, as it were. And tell us about it. Yeah, so I think that Democrats could 
should think about this. Um, in terms of focus on the one core thing, let everything else go. And that is going to be painful. And I'm sort of informed by, you know, there's a famous story, um, and, you know, most listeners are probably not scholars of the Talmud, but um, there is, uh, the Talmud is the core text of Jewish law, and it tells a story about a rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, and there's a potential convert who comes up and challenges him. Teach me the whole Torah, the whole Old Testament, while standing on one leg. It's sort of a cheeky challenge. And he says, basically, look, do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. That's it. That's the whole Old Testament. Everything else is just commentary. And I think that's essentially the way Democrats should approach this. There is going to be so much noise, so much chatter, the forces of the Twitterverse, the forces of the cable punditocracy trying to push on impeachment, on all the hot buttons. And it's going to be very hard to decide to, uh, to, to kind of winnow among all the choices in that kind of environment. And to me, I mean, just to kind of cut through the suspense, I think Democrats know what the one core issue is. I think they've been very clear about it in polls. Uh, about two-thirds of respondents uh, on the Democratic side are very consistent about this. The number one issue for them, an issue that they see as existential for American democracy, is defeating Donald Trump. And so the only question that really should matter is which candidate gives the best chance to defeat Donald Trump. Now, that's, that's, uh, in a way, that sort of just begs broader question, because there are different ways to think about that, and, and reasonable people can disagree. But I think that if you start there, if you start by separating, this is what we're going to focus on, and there's a whole bunch of things that we can throw to the side that are going to try and grab attention, but throw them to the side, it's at least a good start to trying to make an intelligent decision. Well, that uh, that that's uh, you know I mean listen what else have we got uh, to introduce candidates to voters nationally other than televised debates I mean the candidates uh, have all been you know trotting around the country at a pretty rapid pace I'm quite familiar with some of the schedules that candidates have been keeping and in addition to the four. Uh, early states for caucuses and primaries, New Hampshire, um, Iowa, South Carolina, Nevada. Candidates are regularly visiting New York City and California to raise money. Uh, they're up in the Northwest. They're down in the South. They are really traveling hard already all around the country trying to raise money and and looking ahead to Super Tuesday, which follows very closely upon the first four primary states. But for a lot of candidates who are probably not very well known to a national audience, um, the debates are their chance to, to, to have a moment, to, to have their moment um, in the sun and, and maybe uh, come up a few pegs, introduce themselves, get viral turn social media to their advantage, maybe win over uh, pundits in, at the, in the various liberal media who, who, are, who are watching. But also, a lot of the candidates are complaining about 
the process. They're complaining about the DNC requirements. They're complaining. Uh, people say, listen, um, why, why aren't we a strong enough, big enough tent to just let everybody on the debate stage? Why does the DNC have to make rules that exclude people? And I would, I'm betting that especially some of the previously elected candidates uh, are feeling left out. And uh, I'm wondering whether or not this is something, Matt, that you expected. And how should, what, should, what should voters think about the complaints that candidates are making about the whole process the DNC has employed? Well, I'm going to quote a Paul Hodes original uh, from 2008. Uh, back to Democrats, get over it. Um, I think that if uh, you here, uh, as, a, as a viewer of one of the upcoming debates or an attendee at one of these candidate forums, if you hear a lot of moaning about the process that's been laid out, that is a red flag and a sign that maybe this is not the candidate for you. Um, because it means that, that, by definition, this candidate is not focusing on the core. Um, they're focusing on the commentary, not the core. Um, you know, look, the fact of the matter is, obviously, there are a lot of hurt feelings. It's a holdover from 2016. A lot of people felt that, uh, especially Bernie Sanders supporters, that the DNC was putting their thumb on the scale for Hillary Clinton. I think there have been some good evaluations about the evidence on that, um, and it's pretty mixed about whether they were, you know, it was just a lot of chatter among staffers, you know, or whether it really amounted to anything. But the point is that a consolidation needs to happen here. Look no further than what happened on the Republican side in 2016. While 15 Republican candidates dithered among themselves, Donald Trump swam right up the middle lane and achieved unstoppable momentum, and now he's the president. If Democrats allow themselves to be in the position of bickering um, over the rules that they've laid out internally to try and get down to a workable number so that some some top-tier candidates can start to get traction with the voters that they're going to need to persuade to win in, in 2020. Um, if that if Democrats allow that process, that water treading, to play out um, for a long time into the fall, then they're inherently losing. Um, so that's one thing, as a, as a viewer, I would be uh, on the lookout for. And uh, I, would, I would use it as a sign that this is not a candidate that's focused on the end goal. You know, and it's also, let's, let's just say that this time around, it's not like there wasn't fair warning from the DNC about what they were going to do it and, ha- and how they were going to do it. I, I actually attended the DNC briefing uh, early on in this process in which the rules were laid out pretty clearly for at least the candidates who at that time uh, were declared candidates. Now, not all the candidates who have ended up declaring were there, I'd say about maybe half of the candidates who who have ultimately ended up declaring for president were in attendance. But the rules were laid out pretty clearly. The DNC also was at pains to talk about some of the uh, renovations they've made in their procedures and certainly personnel after 2016 when the DNC was left in a pretty awful condition. I mean, it was just a mess. No, There were no people. They had this internecine warfare and they were at pains to talk about all the steps they had taken to prevent that 
uh, from happening going forward to ensure as much fairness as they possibly could. Um, and I, I came away uh, impressed, at least by what they said they had put in place to try to change things up and let people know early on, at least the campaign people, what, what was what was going on. And um, so we're coming down to it. We're, we're a week away. I don't think we're going to know until maybe uh, in the next uh, little bit, day or so, uh, who, which candidate is on which night, because on June 26th and 7th, they're going to divide things up into, into uh, two nights, um, about 10 candidates, I think, on on each night. Uh, I, my joke has been, yeah, there's going to be the parents' table and the kids' table, and who's going to be at the parents' table and who's going to be at the kids' table. And I think even there, the DNC has set up some rules based on uh, looking deeper into the polling to see how folks are doing before they assign them a kids' table or parents' table. Um, so, and there may be some, you know, there may be some grunts and groans and whining about all that, but but ultimately, um, it's it's not it's it doesn't seem to me to be a totally unfair process because if you're running for the Democratic nomination, you're going to be in in the Bailey week of the of the DNC. If you don't want if you don't like the rules, then run as an independent. Um, don't 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 play by their rules. But uh, you know, I, I do what I have heard from lots of different candidates is that uh, whatever ends up happening, unity in taking on Trump is uh, going to be important. But here's here's another question I have for you, and uh, let's come to this after a break. But the question I'd like you to answer is, how do the skills shown by a candidate in the debate translate to how that candidate might govern as president of the United States? We'll take a short break. We're talking with Matt Robeson here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at NHTalkRadio.com and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back after a short break. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at NHTalkRadio.com. And we are archived there for your binge-listening pleasure. We're also a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes, brought to you by The Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at The Birches by by calling 224-9111. And we're talking with Matt Robeson, the political guru who is the proprietor, author, originator, founder, and smart guy at a more perfect union forum.com. We're talking about the democratic process, the process of the Democratic Party for choosing uh, its candidate. And we've been talking about the debates coming up in Miami on the 26th and 27th of June, just a hop, skip and a jump away. And I left Matt with a question before the break. And the question, which I'll happy be happy to repeat for my listeners was, so how do the skills that a candidate show 
shows that a debate relate, if at all, to the skills that you need to govern the United States of America as president of these United States? I would say not at all. Uh-huh. Unfortunately. Well, then However, we're, so, we're so glad that we're having these debates, because they don't mean anything. The, the debates themselves, presidential debates, primary debates, are really, truly awful ways of gauging uh, how you are, are, would elect someone as a leader um, or as a representative. Um, they are good at one thing. They're, they're pretty good nowadays, at least the are pretty good at demonstrating some of the skills that Democrats are going to need in a candidate in order to defeat Donald Trump. We know that you're going to need to be able to raise a ton of grassroots money. You're going to need to be able to communicate effectively in the cable news environment. Um, And you're going to need to be able to um, maintain some kind of an organic social media presence among the Russian bots and trolls. Um, and so, you know, look, I think, that, so I think that's one element. The other element, I think this gets to one of the, the do's rather than one of the don'ts of what uh, Democratic primary voters can be looking for is, look, you have been a longtime advocate of the Democratic Party refocusing its agenda on a constructive economic platform um, for success, for, for middle-class Americans, for working Americans. Pulling out the new study, that it's, it's very interesting, that shows that about one in five Republicans hold economic views that are more in line with the Democratic Party than their own party. And those voters are much less likely to say that they are going to vote for Donald Trump in 2020. And independents who have more economically progressive views, voted for congressional Democrats by 16 percentage points more in the last midterms than 2016. So that tells us right there, these are the segments of voters that Democrats desperately need to win in order to win in 2020. They're right there, and we know in this study that they're very open to an economic argument uh, about uh, what's the best way forward for assuring success for the country and for their family? And so uh, another thing that you can look for in the debates, um, if you're trying to pick a candidate, is is the candidate able to enunciate succinctly a compelling economic message that will speak to those sets of voters? Do they have an economic agenda um, that, speaks to the real economic concerns that middle-class Americans who have been squeezed by rising costs and stagnant income uh, have in this country. If you see that, that is a good sign. And that is something that you can gauge, uh, even in this 20-person scrum of a debate. So let me let me just dig into that, because it, it's interesting. I, I've been doing a lot of thinking and a lot of talking in certain segments about what that 
uh, agenda ought to be and, and or what that message for the economic message ought to be. And I distinguish between agenda and message because agenda talks about policy, but message really is the emotionally resonant way you boil it down and articulate it in a way that that really speaks to the people you need to speak to. We're, yeah, that's a great distinction. Yeah, I agree. It, you know, we're in and we're in a situation where um, Trump won in 2016 by basically saying to everybody who'd been left behind by decades of globalization and stagnant wages, uh, loss of manufacturing jobs, uh, loss of faith in institutions, anger and disappointment at both parties for not. Um, t- not paying real attention, especially to rural America, especially in the Midwest. We have a country now where, if you look at the red and the blue map, with all due respect to President Obama, who said there are no red states, no blue states, just the United States, um, you've got these thin bands of blue on the coast, a few dots of blue, and then this sea of red. Um, and Trump won by saying, basically, Look, what have you got to lose? I'm a, I'm a successful guy. I know how to do this. And I'm really, was his, his message seemed to me, I'm a populist. I, I, even though I'm a, a rich guy, uh, since I'm not worried about taking money from anybody, you can trust me to be honest. And I'm going to look out for the little guy. I'm bringing back bowling alleys. I'm bringing back your factories. Uh, I'm bringing back uh, Made in America because that's going to make us great again. And a lot of Obama voters felt like, okay, what have we got to lose? I'm voting for Trump. I don't like the other the other person. I don't like that Hillary person. I'm voting for Trump. I like the way, you know, at least what have I got to lose? And And so for those voters right now, uh, Donald Trump seems to be, you know, he's actually making good on some of his promises. I could see some of the voters that Democrats need looking at Donald Trump and saying, well, all the bad behavior aside and whatever happened with Russia or whatever, or he doesn't like to be investigated, whatever. But look at the way he's standing up to China and he's saying, OK, So if we're not going to get it from China anymore, we're going to have to make it in America, and we'll do that. That sounds like a guy who's finally standing up to all these globalists and saying, hey, it's a a new day in America. We're going to make it ourselves just like we did in the old days. What's wrong with that? So in the face of that, what how do, what what do Democrats do? I mean, Matt, you and I um, a few years ago developed an, a, an agenda for the Democratic Party. Now, this is a policy agenda that works pretty well. Uh, we we talked about education and innovation and infrastructure and reform. And as a policy agenda in general, you could find really important, you know, those four headings uh, as the core of, of, of something that really could work to, to move the economy. But how do Democrats message it? How do they strike at the emotionally resonant core of what it's going to take to overcome uh, what have you got to lose from Donald Trump? He'll say, hey, the stock market's doing pretty well. Uh, unemployment all over the country is low. Uh, I'm standing up to China. 
I'm a tough guy when it comes to uh, Iran. I won't make a deal with North Korea. So I'm, I'm, I said I'd be tough, and I'm a tough guy. I'm keeping those Mexicans on the other side of the border. I, you know, I'm getting tough there. So uh, I've come through. What do Democrats do to capture the hearts and minds of all those angry, disappointed people who may feel that in the past the Democrats talked a good game, but, but, but disappointed? Do Democrats come clean? Do Democrats say, gee, you know, you're right. We may, have, we may not have done all we said we'd do, but our values are in the right place. And, you know, the Republicans are just a bunch of rich corporate elitists. And uh, this time we really mean it. We are going to help you. What do they do? So we have some good evidence uh, on this question from the last couple of years from a, num- a number of sources. One of them is polling. Um, one of the best polling groups out there, Global Strategy Group, just came out um, with uh, a, a new set of research that shows that voters agree it's about 57% to 43 with the argument that we have to ensure that the, the economy works for everyone because right now it's just wealthy people at the top who are getting richer. And you can really correlate that with other polling findings. Um, you know, 80% of Democrats and 60% of independents in the Washington Post poll uh, recently thought that the economy is mainly benefiting people already in power. Uh, Quinnipiac found that 60% of Americans don't think that the big economic statistics, you know, we had 3.2% GDP growth in the first quarter. Well, they don't think that accurately reflects the reality the economy for average Americans. So that's one piece of evidence. Another is, look two years ago at the kind of argument that nearly got Bernie Sanders the nomination. Um, whether you were or a Clinton person, you cannot deny that he got incredible traction with his repeated uh, uh, focus on the millionaires and billionaires, as he put it, who were getting ahead, and the middle class that was getting further and further behind. Uh, and we know from uh, other forms of research that this is really how the middle class feel, that they really do feel squeezed by the price of rents. Um, you know, in the, in the first decade or so of the 2000s, price of rents up 7%, medical care up 21%, child care 24%, forget higher ed, 62% up, and the median income for all of those middle class families down 8%. So I, I think that there's it's bigger than a trail of breadcrumbs. There's there's a whole set of loaves of bread out there that, that lead the Democrats to an argument about we are focused, like a laser beam, on helping the middle class and people who are trying to work their way into the middle class to be successful in this economy. It's not enough that the Fortune 500 companies and Apple and Google are doing gangbusters and the average price of a house in San Francisco is now $1.5 million. Bully for them. But that's not helping you in Iowa. I think that there is a, a very strong argument to be had there. And as Democrats, both primary voters and candidates, start working their way through the scrum of the, of the debates the next couple months, if you see a candidate who's able to make that kind of argument effectively, that's a pretty good sign that she or he is going to be able to make that argument successfully with the voters that Democrats need to get 
in the 2020 general and we'll have a good chance against President Trump. We've been talking with Matt Robeson on Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. Matt, thanks for joining us. We'll have you back. Maybe we'll talk after the debates and do a post-mortem and see how things go. Matt Robeson, who is the author of a more perfect unionforum.com. Check it out. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back after this. We're back to wrap up Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, call 224-9111, find out all about life at the Birches. Well, we had quite a wild ride on Off the Record today. I was joined by Johnny B. Bressler, and we talked about the craziness of the President of the United States, who said that he would happily accept election interference from foreign governments and not bother reporting it to the FBI, because after all, President Schmesident, what does it matter? He's never called the FBI about anything. Why should he start now? And then Matt Robeson and I talked about what Democrats need to do in the debates coming up and in the election to remove Donald Trump if he's still in office. It's been Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes.